BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodinToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by Top Gun Maverick. Just because the rest of us age doesn't mean Tom Cruise has to. You know, the 2020 election, it just won't go away. Some conservatives insist that Joe Biden didn't win the presidency fair and square. The media and big tech, how often they overlap, say that kind of thinking can get you banned from digital platforms, if not polite society. President Donald Trump, of course, thinks he won but he's done a pretty lousy job of proving it. What do I think? Well, we are living in an age where conspiracies turn into fact pretty darn quickly. Need one example? Wuhan lab leak. Take a bow. But I've been quiet on the 2020 election situation. Publicly and even personally. I gotta say, I need to see better proof than I've seen up until now, frankly, to think that something really weird happened in that election. And then I clicked on a screening link for a new film called 2,000 Mules. This is Dinesh D'Souza, and his movies are typically similar in a way. Uh, They're red meat affairs, they talk about big issues. It's almost like an anti-Michael Moore situation. Titles like Death of a Nation, Trump Card, America, Imagine the World Without Her. You get the idea. Critics hate these movies, and that, in a way, reveals their biases because they're right of center. But they make money. Pretty big money by documentary standards. So I didn't know what to expect with 2,000 Mules, because this is a pretty serious subject matter. It's radioactive, really. And this is different than D'Souza's past films. It's calm. It's cool. It's assessing the 2020 election results like a forensic exam. The movie argues that paid workers, presumably paid workers, or mules, work to stuff ballot boxes in key areas across the country to help sway the election. Talk about a grand conspiracy, right? Where's my tinfoil hat? Except D'Souza isn't just making stuff up. 
He teamed with an organization called True the Vote that deals with election integrity. And they bought this geo-tracking data to follow these mules around prior to election day. And what they found was shocking, real shocking, not clickbait shocking, the real deal. Now, these mules would visit one, two, three, maybe four ballot boxes over a small amount of time. They'd also visit nonprofit groups over and again in between those trips to the ballot boxes. Why? Who does that? But there's more. Some ballot box locations had security cameras running morning, noon, and night. And True the Vote was able to grab some video to catch the behavior of these mules. Now, you might have dropped off your ballot at your neighborhood drop box before Election Day. That's what I did. That's how things work in Denver. They've been that way for a couple years now. Did you wear blue surgical gloves when you were dropping off your ballot? Did you take those blue surgical gloves off the second the ballot went into the ballot box? Did you take pictures of yourself or take pictures of the ballots actually going into the box, almost like you needed proof of what you were doing? I didn't do any of that. I don't think you did either. But that's what many of these mules did. You could see it for yourself. What is going on here? Now, part of me is nervous talking about this subject. Like I said, you don't want to get in trouble. Right in Hollywood is still a pretty new show. We're growing. And I don't want any big tech platform to take us down over this episode or other shows. But I got to talk about it. And 2,000 Mules rocked me. I, I spoke to Dinesh D'Souza just minutes after watching the film, and I, I felt my mouth was a little dry. I, I can't deny it. It had a real impact on me. So what does this mean? I, to me, it means you've got to look into this more. Other people have to see what's in this documentary and say, okay, how do you explain this? What, what, what rationale covers what we're seeing and what we're hearing and what we're experiencing in this documentary? Obviously, law enforcement should be involved, state politicians, election integrity officials, hopefully decent, kind, fair souls who are looking into this. That's at the very least. But I kind of think, unless this movie is a huge hit, that nothing's going to happen. Now, 2,000 Mules does leave some unanswered questions, including one which is a biggie. I think they maybe even mentioned this in the movie itself. If all these fake ballots gave Biden the election, why didn't they yield a huge blue wave overall in 2020? Republicans fared moderately well in that election. They lost the presidency, obviously, but they weren't blown out. Well, if you have all these fake ballots flooding the zone, couldn't that have changed other things as well? You know, again, questions that need to be discussed. Now, will the film get a fair hearing? Oh, I'm probably not. You know, D'Souza is a conservative. He's made conservative films. He's been pardoned by President Trump. That's another story I don't have time to go into. Just do a quick Google on that. You know, he's not going to be viewed fairly and squarely. And I think most film critics will probably ignore the movie. Although the ones who see it and slam it, I really will be curious to see why. What do they say? What are, what are, what are their objections to the film? I'm genuinely curious. Now, to me, I, I wonder if we're so divided as a culture, we've kind of set our tribal boundaries in place, where we can't even examine new evidence about an election. Because let's face it, if, if what we see in this movie is true, what's going to happen in 2022 this year? How about 2024, the next presidential election? <laughs> Again, takes my breath away. Now, I don't think anything's going to change. I'm pretty skeptical. I've grown <laughs> rather cynical about society today. But I do know this. 
if enough people see 2,000 mules and enough of those people spread the word far and wide, social media, word of mouth, well, all the all the objections to it, all the reasons why we shouldn't go back and re-examine this, they may just fade away. You're listening to my dad's podcast. He cried like a baby watching Snoopy come home. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week's Toto's take is The Outlaws. Yes, it's a TV show and not a movie movie. And I know I usually review movie movies here, but this is my show and I could break the rules now and then. So there. The BBC import follows seven very different souls going through a community payback program. Basically means they broke the law and they have to make amends. It's a real motley crew of offenders. You've got a lanky lawyer played by Stephen Merchant, who co-created the show, very funny guy, two digital influencers, and a BLM activist. Then there's Christopher Walken, playing a senior citizen, trying to stay in the straight and narrow to kind of make amends with his daughter, who's just sick and tired of him breaking the law. Now, these are really funny, wildly distinct characters who you'll enjoy spending time with. And it's one of the things I noticed about the show is just right out of the gate, picture-perfect casting all around. Bravo. These are just very unique individuals. And even though there are some stereotypes here and there, I just thought they brought them to life in a beautiful way. And The Outlaws overall is funny. It's sober at times. It's very addictive. It's only six episodes, but I kind of raced through them. What surprised me the most about the show is the treatment of one of these so-called outlaws. He is a right-wing blowhard. I don't even know if he would, uh, <laughs> he would object to that description. But he's not a monster. He's a businessman who got in way over his head, and he's trying to survive. But it's his evolution, and more specifically, his bond with that BLM activist that is rich and nuanced and full of humanity. Yes, a conservative character is depicted as a human being. Who saw that coming, Hollywood? Well, this is the BBC, so can you give us a little more of that? We appreciate it. Now, this show does hail from across the pond, but The Outlaws is streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Give it a look, even if Christopher Walken never breaks out that cowbell. Right on Hollywood loves to give artists a close-up, do it every week. They work hard, and they deserve it. It's really, you know, for all the Tom Hanks of the world, a lot of them just work tirelessly, you know, expend all their credit cards. They're really doing it for the love of the art. Many guests are doing it for something else, too. They're actually fighting the culture wars. And some artists have been doing it for quite some time, even before the recent realization that there is a culture war, we have to fight back, and pop culture does matter. Now, the Daily Wire called this week's guest the elder statesman within the conservative documentary field. I don't disagree with that. Jason Killian Meath is the founder and CEO of Meath Media Group, Meath Television Media, and the co-founder of Torchlight Strategies. He produces films for TV and theaters. He's also a savvy media strategist. You may know him from his previous work, like Rocky Mountain Heist, and he has not one but two new documentaries out right now. And, of course, they're on pretty critical topics. First up is Rigged, the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defeat Donald Trump. I think the title says it all and kind of circles back to what we just discussed a few minutes ago. His other new film is kind of like a, an addendum to my book, Virtue Bombs. It's called The Culture, Culture Killers, The Woke Wars. It's a blistering documentary that details just how the insidious woke virus is crushing America. It really is. It ain't pretty, but this documentary is pretty damning. 
But how did Jason get here? How did he become one of the first people to understand that this is a fight worth fighting for? And does he think the battle against woke, have we reached a turning point in recent days? There have been some really positive signs. I was very curious to ask him directly that question. Here's my chat with Jason Killian Meath. Jason, you've been making right-leaning ads, feature films, documentaries for a while now. But I think you began your career thinking about a more traditional success path. Tell me, just real briefly, take me back to your early days and how you got sidetracked in a very good way. <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way, Christian. This has been, I know I've, we've gone back and forth for a long time uh, to be on your show. And, and I'm so happy that we're finally able to do it and, and a good excuse with these films. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I uh, didn't really not have a lot of political bones in my body uh, back in you know college. And I ended up doing a stint at Columbia University um, in their film program. And I was watching all of my fellow classmates um, running up credit card debt to do their <laughs> thesis project films. Uh, and they, you know, I mean, the going rate, I believe at the time was, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, you know, gets you in the door to get these things finished. And you had to finance them all yourself. And Yikes. I remember thinking, you know, when I was in my early 20s, is, is this really a good idea to go after every <laughs> single you know, credit card I can go to and go to any kind of rich uncle or relative, which of which I didn't really not have any and, you know, ask them and beg them for money and, and then have them hate me for the rest of my life. I said, no, it just, just didn't seem right. And so at the very same time, uh, sort of an offer came down the pike of starting or uh, helping start a political network in Washington TV network. And at the time it was a satellite uh, television network. And of course I, was in film school. So I didn't really know much about TV, but they thought I did. So I said, <laughs> yeah, sure, let's do it. Oh, uh, and it paid well. And it was, uh, you know, I could get an apartment and, you know, kind of start out on my own. So I did that. And I really learned a lot about not only uh, broadcasting and television, but also, um, you know, politics and, and communications through, through politics and through um, films. I, I kind of equated that then to films and whatnot. And that was a wonderful uh, few years of my life. And, um, but then I went back to what I kind of thought I, you know, really should be doing. And that's just making regular uh, documentaries. And, and we, I, I, I uh, founded a television show on the Discovery Channel called The Feds after I was down here in D.C., uh, stumbled upon a bunch of boxes of incredibly gripping caught on tape uh, footage from busts of uh, federal agents uh, capturing criminals. And I asked the people at this uh, government agency, I said, what do, you, what do you do with these films after they're shown in court? And they said, well, they just sit here in this warehouse. <laughs> you know, it was, was kind of like that warehouse in the, at the end of uh, you Raiders, know, of, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> where, you know, where they just have piles of boxes. And I yeah. thought, oh my God. And so- <laughs> All that content. Uh, all that content. I was just looking at content everywhere and pretty quickly got it on the Discovery Channel um, and had a, a nice, you know, little primetime slot on the Discovery Channel. And but almost immediately when it uh, when it debuted, 9-11 um, happened. And, you know, quite frankly, people were just not as uh, gripped on caught on camera criminals. Yeah. 
doing drug deals um, anymore. And so those kinds of programs, even though they were very popular in uh, the late 90s and uh, 2000, they, they kind of went by the wayside. And at the same time, uh, I got pulled back into politics to uh, start working on um, political campaign videos and, and that type of thing, which I did for really eight years before I went out and uh, did my own thing really with films uh, and started and eventually started my own company to do entertainment and, and film programming. Uh, and most of that programming has something of a political bent, not all of it, but the vast majority of what I do, because I've kind of, you know, been put into this niche, which I think you can appreciate being doing all the work that you've done in your book and your podcasts and whatnot. You know, I, I've seen some of your films over the years. They're always very slick. They always look better than some of your competitors who, you know, people on the right have been making some films and some documentaries over the years, and they're a little rougher on the edges. But one thing I'm noticing now is that's changing. I think that your colleagues are kind of upping their game. They look better. They sound better. They're better packaged. What, what do you think is going on sort of on the conservative movement in this arena? What, what, what changed to make their work kind of catch up to the work that you do? Well, I appreciate you classifying it that, you know, I mean, I, I only know how to make the film that I, I know how to make. And I, I've always wanted and set a bar that I feel like it should be a Hollywood uh, grade production. When I say Hollywood, I mean sort of the traditional, you know, very high end uh, look that people expect when they want to, when you want to attract the most people to watch your product. And I do think you're right. I mean, and I've always thought like, I don't want to be the only, you know, kind of moth flying around the flame here. <laughs> this is, there's plenty more room at this party. Yeah. And um, so the more people that are doing this, I think the better it is for people in general, because there's so much content. I mean, I, I tell people, I say, when you, when you get your net, Netflix subscription and you look at the documentary section, you're looking at the left. That's what they do. They, I mean, almost all of that content is some, there's some type of left skew to it. Even the nature documentaries now have to preach to you about climate change instead of really showing you cute little seals or, you know, uh, you know, the migration paths of, <laughs> of uh, tigers, which is what, you know, used to be sort of the thrust of it. And now it's, it's preachy. A lot of it is preachy. And you, you notice it seeping through in just about every little piece of programming on places like Netflix. And you, I kind of scratch my head all the time because, uh, you know, I, you know, for example, like you just look at certain shows that are very, very popular the first season and you go, wow, they're great. And then the second season they come out and some, suddenly they, they have to have some type of woke element where that's not really what you liked the first season, but they, but now because it's so popular, they've, somebody's decided you got to put this in, you got to put this in. And it has nothing to do with the story or the, you know, the value of the show. Um, so that's what we're up against. We have to kind of counterbalance it with, you know, just sort of great non-woke entertainment, great kind of uh, political uh, pieces that, uh, you know, if it is a political documentary that, you know, from our perspective, counterbalances what's out there. And so the more people that are doing that and the higher quality that the work is, obviously the better we can kind of compete with, with this vast uh, entertainment uh, offerings that are out there from uh, sort of the what I call the mainstream Hollywood set. 
um, who are putting these play, you know, things on you, Hulu and uh, YouTube Red and uh, all the others, uh, Netflix, et cetera. Gotcha. You've got two new films. I want to kind of hit them one at a time here. The first is Rig, the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defeat Donald Trump. Just mentioning that 2020, that election, might not have been on the up and up, comes with risks. You talk about maybe YouTube pulling your videos down, other sort of sensorial, sensorial uh, efforts underway. Uh, did, when you approached this project, did that impact the way you treated it? Did you realize that? Is there any way you kind of let that factor in, or you just kind of go full steam ahead and say, they do what they do, and I have to tell the story? Well, you know, when um, Citizens United folks uh, contacted me about this, uh, the first time that they mentioned it, and we had our first meeting, I walked away with filled with question marks, uh, because I had not heard of this particular Mm -hmm. $417 $417 million that Mark Zuckerberg injected into the 2020 election, sort of at the last minute in 2020, last months leading into the election, all this money poured into the election. And uh, I, <laughs> I have, I, I always wondered how in the world Joe Biden received more uh, popular votes than any president in recorded history, uh, having sat in his basement and not really campaigned at all during <laughs> the 2020 campaign. So I, I thought, well, gee, this, maybe this, maybe this is a puzzle piece that will help me understand how this election went the way it did. And it really didn't just, it wasn't just a puzzle piece. I think it might be pretty much of the complete puzzle, if not a very good uh, majority of that puzzle. Um, And so, yes, I mean, I was concerned that the content was, um, uh, radioactive, for, you know, but the, uh, but then again, I don't shy away from that. If yeah. it's, if it's factual, I don't shy away from it. Um, and you shouldn't, you know, I get, again, I mean, everybody says, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant and you just have to make sure that, you know, and, and the, the people that I worked with at Citizens United, again, I mean, they're just extremely thorough and careful about making any claim. And I think that's what the problem was in the, aftermath of the 2020 election is that a lot of people thought like I did, how in the world did this guy, you know, how did Joe Biden win more of the popular vote? How did he easily, you know, sort of, you know, really sailed to victory uh, in the midst of a pandemic and not really, and unseating a, a president and not really campaigning whatsoever in front of anybody? Um, how did he do this. And so a lot of people made up their own kind of ideas. Oh, it's got to be voting machines. It's got to be, you know, uh, mail-in ballots, you know, being stuffed in boxes and whatever it is. Uh, There was a lot of people opining about this. And that uh, is what, you know, kind of made the media go crazy. And they started talking about false narratives and kicking people off platforms and kicking people off networks. And doing all the things that the left likes to do. But, you know, meanwhile, we just kind of made our film based on all kinds of very hard data. And I mean, you know, we took, what we did is we followed the money. We did what, you know, we did what uh, Bernstein and Woodward did in Watergate. We, we fig- figured out where the money went that uh, Zuckerberg had injected in to the election. And we figured that out because we just looked at the IRS uh, 
tax filings by the 501c3 that received all of Zuckerberg's money or most of it. And it was very telling where the money was spent. And it was very obvious that it was spent to help the Democrats drive voter turnout for Joe Biden. Yeah. Now, there are people who will never, ever, ever accept that 2020 was less than perfect. Is there an aspect of your film that you would, it would it, if you could only see this five-minute segment or this one part or hear this one argument, I, I think this could change your mind. I, again, I don't want to give away too much of your film. So what, what, how, maybe pick an element of this, of this narrative that you've created and this part of your story and part of your film that explains or at least would cast significant doubt and even someone who can't accept can't accept that it was possibly less than ideal. Well, you know, there's two things I would say. First, I'll give a, the film a little credit and, and say that there's we we spent a lot of time crafting graphics. Um, and I know graphics doesn't sound like a great word to talk about when you're you know that's not a PowerPoint. We make it <laughs> we make a lot more uh, interesting than that. But you know, to show you the disparity of where the money went to Democrat areas versus Republican areas, because some of the money did go to Republican areas and the Zuckerberg people and the people that worked with his money like to say that, oh, well, we sent more money to, to Republican areas than we did to Democrat areas. And that's such a funny little crafty way of them saying, yes, if you, if you tally the number of places that you sent a pittance of money, and I mean like barely anything, um, then yes, I guess maybe technically that's true, even though they still haven't really provided the hard data for that. But if you look at where, you know, 70, 75% of the money, and I'm talking, you know, hundreds of millions of, of that 417 million, I'm talking 270, 280 something million dollars went, and what it was used for, all of those areas are solid blue Biden areas that they desperately needed people to show up and they didn't think that they would because there was not a lot of enthusiasm for Joe Biden. So they had to get him out. Yeah. And so I think that's the that's a key important fact that all roads in that documentary keep leading to both from the facts, you know, and figures to what was the money was spent on to all of that. But I'll one other thing I'll point to as well. And that's just what everybody should know if they're on the fence about watching it. They don't want to see something that's going to give them a conspiracy theory or something. Well, the greatest uh, post-documentary release that I think I've, I've had in, in a while is Mark Zuckerberg, just days after the film was released, coming out publicly and saying that he would not do this again, that he was not going to give any more money in like this in any other future election uh, specifically in the 2022 race. That's very interesting. Um, so yeah, that that was the timing of that was was interesting, especially because his organization had also put out a, a statement before the film was released, and they really had a, a chance to see it. And so they were trying to play a little bit of offense, and then it ended up with them playing defense, with him saying, "Nope, I'm not doing this anymore." Yeah. Well, I, I only have so much time, but I want to get to your second film. In fact, you've got two films back-to-back -back releasing. Not too, not too shabby. It's called The Cultural Killers, The Woke Wars. And this stuff is right in my wheelhouse. And I have to say, I track this all the time. I knew some of the material in the film. And I was still absolutely furious after I watched it, which I'm sure is part of the impact to kind of get people to, to, to do something. But 
what what element of this film frustrates you the most? And maybe there's too many answers here, but just just pick one or two because there are so many just outrageous elements in our culture now that are just so wrong. But what 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 kind of rankles you the most, and what what gives you the most hope about it? Because there is hope here too. Yes, you know, and and the funny thing about both of the premieres of this movie is that you know we had great turnout of people that came and. Uh, President Trump actually was at the this was, uh, the rigged premiere and he watched the whole film and uh, he said, you know, you're you're I, I wish I know everybody's having a good time and, and you're having a nice evening and everybody's had a great dinner. And he said, but you're really going to be pretty upset when, when you watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is true. I mean, the culture killer. I mean, for me, Christian, I don't know if you thought the same thing, but so we divide this film into originally this film had little titles for each um, each outrage that we're presenting in this of, of culture, whether it's uh, BLM burning art cities down, whether it's, um, you know, parents outraged at school boards for uh, teaching their children critical race theory and sexuality and all that at, at very young ages. There's all sorts, but, but, but those titles at the beginning of each section made me like get a headache halfway through because I was like, Oh my God, I just invested myself into this. And now I got to go into this. And it just got to be, got to be too overwhelming. So it was funny because when we took those titles out and you don't really realize that you're segueing into different areas of our woke culture, then, then you, your brain processes it much better. And so at the very sort of towards the end of the film, we talk about Hollywood um, and we talk about, uh, I think Amanda Milius actually um, says that one time during our, who is a filmmaker and who, who's, you know, comes from a filmmaking family, her father uh, wrote a, one of my favorite films ever, Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah. And uh, she says that it used to be Hollywood when we put this, when we put films out in the eighties and the 90s and you know even way long before that world war ii and pretty much from when movies began they came to symbolize america as this place of ideas and influence and and creativity and and uh energy and glamour and you know movie stars and and just it just came sort of to be a symbol of the beacon of what freedom can bring you. And now we're putting out all this content that says America's terrible and <laughs> that, you know, we were, we're a flawed country and that we um, uh, have all these problems and that we should be, uh, you know, that we have to atone for all of the sins that we've created. And we're putting this out all over the world and people are seeing this. And they're starting to become, and she says, just as powerfully as those movies, uh, just as powerful as those movies were and those television shows and everything else that we, in rock songs and everything that we put out, just as powerful as they were to attract people to America and the ideas of freedom, they can equally be as powerful to destroy America uh, and, and uh, our opinion around the world. Yeah. And I do agree, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. But also look at what China is doing. China is actually doing the direct opposite. They're making films that promote their country, their their 
their excellence over other nations, uh, you know, and they're far more heavy handed than we ever were as far as promoting American exceptionalism. So it's just fascinating on a cultural level what those two forces are doing. I mean, working complete opposite directions. And sure, (laughs) Amanda is one of the sharper cultural observers out there. I've chatted with her a couple of times and she's right. It's 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 pretty it's sad, but it's fascinating to watch, and it's worth taking note of, which is obviously what your, your film does so well. Uh, one yeah. of the things I've noticed about films like yours, also uh, Whose Children Are They, which I spoke about a week or two ago on this podcast, is that they're made from right-leaning people, but I think there's significant potential for reaching across the aisle, where you know if you're a, a sane Democrat or someone center-left, and you see college students shouting down someone who has a different opinion— You've got to think that there's there's room for a connection there. There's room for hope. There's room for them to say, "Hey, I I don't listen to you know Glenn Beck, but I, I I'm not on I'm not in favor of this." I mean, can you talk a little bit about that and how your film can help in that direction? Because I think there, I mean, your film, especially the the, the woke uh, feature, doesn't seem ideological to me. It just seems like, oh my gosh, what's going on in our culture? What's your reaction there? You're absolutely right. And I and at the beginning of this film, when I when we were making it, I, I had so much participation. I mean, there's over 30 people in this film, and most of them are coming from, you know, right, the right. And I so we reached out. I mean, I, I was like bound and determined. I, I reached out to people on the left. Mm-hmm. I reached out to people your listeners would know, uh, Dave Chappelle. I reached out to Bill Maher. I reached out to people like this um, to say, please come on uh, and talk about this because I want this to be a film that transcends right versus left. Yep. I want this to be a film that, you know, this is what we're, our aim is to, to show that this is a prevailing problem on both sides. And it is, they've come out publicly and said that, um, but they didn't want they, they just, there was this hesitancy yeah. among people. And I don't consider, you know, people like Dave Chappelle, I don't know what his politics are, but, um, you know, I, he, and I can understand why a lot of people just did not want to come on camera and associate themselves with something that might be, that, that people on the right might be much more uh, willing to talk about than people on the left because and, they can get canceled. Yeah, but also I think can... that we've spent years basically demonizing people on the right as being monsters, and if you're anywhere attached to the right, then I don't want to be associated with you. I think there's been that sort of underlying, yes. if not so underlying, message that's pumped out into the culture, and uh, it certainly makes my job harder at times. I'm sure it makes yours, as you just witnessed, make it tougher too. But, then you know, I do give Bill Maher a lot of credit because he's been using his pulpit in very powerful ways to speak out. And yes, he's a pretty it, progressive guy, but he's not willing to cede this woke manifesto. And uh, good for him. I, I wish he was in your film, but I give him some credit. Uh, well, well, we do we do slip him in. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> slip him in as because because he's uh, he's com- commented so publicly sure, on sure. this uh, that we we wanted to be sure that we slip people like that in. But you know, uh, going back to college campuses, I would love there would be nothing that I would love more than this film to be something that is required viewing in, uh, you know, public policy classes and, and then let the fires ignite among the students and let them battle back and forth about what they feel about it and, and why they feel about it. And then go show a, go show a, a a lefty film uh, on something similar and have Mm -hmm. them, 
uh, talk about it. But this this is a counterbalance. So if you wanted to be counterbalanced in your in your teaching, and you're a, a, a very good teacher that that looks at all sides of issues, this would be something I would throw into the mix, maybe with uh, two or three other films, and and let people go to town. And I, I would hope that we could have that sort of discourse in our colleges and universities. But you know, kind of as we pointed out in the film, I mean, and having a a son at college now, I mean, he goes to uh, one of the places that is a little bit better than the others, but I'll tell you, <laughs> most of the colleges that are out there, um, you know, they're, they've, they've succumbed to this wokeness, many yeah. of them. Uh, quick observations. One, the fact that we're begging for that kind of basic conversation is sad. Two, I think that the students not only need to have that conversation, but be taught how to do so in a in a, uh, a gentlemanly fashion where they're not screaming, they're not yelling, they're not pounding, they're not doing anything outrageous. They're just saying, I disagree, here's what I think. And the other person says, well, I disagree, and here's what I think. That seems like a very basic skill to have. And the fact that college kids are, are you know, entering the real world without it is really sad. Uh, Jason, before I let you go, you're one of the few people who really gets the culture. You've been in it for a while. You've been sort of fighting this culture war fight. And it seems like very recently we've had the death of CNN+. Plus. You know, what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter is just downright revolutionary. We've seen canceled Americans really bouncing back stronger than ever, like libs of TikTok. It's a great story. I feel like for the first time in a while, there's legitimately hopeful signs. Do you, do, are we, are we getting too optimistic here? Or do you think that there's, there's been a, a, a tilt in the battle? Well, and I'll add another one. Look yeah. at what's going on with Disney. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so you know, I think that I think that there is. I think what we're seeing is that there's people that are stepping forward that are not afraid. Um, you know, Disney Plus was a, a. It's something I've asked myself over and over and over again. How in the world do you sell wokeness and make money? And it seems like some of these uh, co uh, companies are not are really primarily concerned with making money. I mean, Robbie Starbuck in the film, who's another filmmaker in, mm -hmm. in The Culture Killers, he says, you know, the, the most valuable currency in Hollywood right now is virtue. It's not money. It's putting out your virtue signaling all over the place. It's, that's actually become more valuable than making money. I never thought I'd ever hear something like that. Yeah, I've been, I've been um, using the phrase that show business comes with an asterisk right now because it's yeah. not just about the money, which is shocking. But continue. It's shocking. <laughs> it's shocking because if there was ever a capitalist center of the universe, it was always Hollywood yep. in terms of what they would do to make money. But now it just seems that something has shifted. And so look at what's happened with CNN Plus. You're exactly right. They, they have this, what they think is an all-star lineup of people, and they have this huge platform that took them years and years and lots and lots of money to build. And they hyped it up and did everything they were supposed to, and nobody came. You know, and I think that happens too. And like people constantly talk about the, the death of uh, movie theaters. I don't think COVID necessarily killed movie theaters. I think the movies are killing movie theaters. I just um, read that it, they're going to do a Hunger Games prequel and there was some other absurd. Oh, another Dirty Dancing. I, I thought, my God. <laughs> Oh, I can't process this. I mean, the lack It'd of be great to see what they're going to do to make those, the, both of those like terribly woke, yeah. you know, I mean, to reinvent stuff that was perfectly wonderful and everybody's happy about, and then just turn it on its head. Yeah. 
Don't put it past them. So <laughs> <laughs> no. So you see, no, you so see some I real think hope there here. is a shift. I okay. think there is a shift going on, and I think people are willing to fight back. Like you know, Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. I mean, he put his money where his mouth is, and that was great. Um, Ron DeSantis, you know, uh, took away one of the greatest pillars of what Walt Disney gave to his own company, and that was a completely autonomous country in the middle of Florida that they could do anything they wanted. And that's Florida's, Florida's largest employer. No politician would dare do anything to upset Disney. Well, you know what? Disney got too big for its britches and started going after the politicians and he fought back. Yeah. And um, the kids. So I think that's great. Oh, that's right. They, they went after the, the kids via the politicians and, mm. and he need he, he needed to, to fight back. And if, as long as we fight back against this stuff, because, Again, the culture killers show, shows this as well as your book that you can't just sit and let this stuff happen because they will keep going and going and going and they will never stop. So you have to push back against it. You just yeah. do. And I don't know. I don't care how nice of a person you are. Do it in your own way somehow, but push back because they will take over every aspect of your life if you let them. I, I love that message because I think we can all do it in our own way. I'm not the kind of guy who does door-to-door knocking. I'm not a political guy that way. But I can write and I can cover stories and I can kind of give a voice to you and you're doing such great work. That's what I can do. Every person has their own skill set, their own ability, their own way to fight back and make just figure out what it is and then do it. So, uh, of course, Jason, you've been doing this for quite some time now. Two movies out. Thank you for joining Right on Hollywood. You can see his new film, Rigged, at citizensunitedmovies.com or even more simply, rigged2020.com. And if you want to see the culture killers get angry and get some hope, go to conservative.org. That's CPAC's main site. So, uh, Jason, thank you all the best and keep fighting. You do it so well. Thanks, Christian. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Thanks for listening to Right on Hollywood, part of the Just the News podcasting family. Please like, share, and subscribe. Just do all the things to keep the show growing. I really need your help, and I really appreciate it. And if you want to hear something different on the show or have a tasty bit of advice, constructive, not mean-spirited, please shoot me a note. You can reach me at Christian at HollywoodInToto.com. Yes, that is my email and a plug for my entertainment site. It's a twofer. Have a great week. Be kind to each other. Let's do it all again next time. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at HollywoodInToto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever. Free speech matters more than ever.